Thank you. That is one of my favorite songs, and I appreciate you doing that. And then our special ed has blessed us today, and, and I'm grateful to them and for their sweet spirit and ministry. Many sermons have been preached and books have been written about God's forgiveness. There is not as much about man's forgiveness of man. But what is forgiveness? I hear people say sometimes, well, I will forgive, but not forget. Is that forgiveness? The dictionary defines forgiveness as to give up resentment against or claim to requital, to grant relief from payment of. Dr. Archibald Hart said, forgiveness is surrendering my right to hurt you for hurting me. Everett Worthington Jr. said, forgiveness is both an act and a process. It could be compared to canceling a debt. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. It takes two to reconcile. It takes only one to forgive. Chuck Swindoll wrote, Forgiveness means I give up my privilege of hurting you because you hurt me. I give up my privilege of retaliating, of seeking revenge. I give up my privilege of nursing a grudge. Strong's Concordance of the Bible says to forgive someone is to free fully, release, relieve, dismiss, pardon, let go, loose, put away, set at liberty. I think all of us want to be forgiven and we would like to be forgiving. The truth is, it is very difficult. There is a real struggle that goes with forgiving other people. I heard about a man who was known in his neighborhood as a man who loved dogs. He genuinely loved dogs. Well, one day he went out, he was laying a concrete driveway, and as he was out there, he smoothed it out, he went back inside. When he was inside, he looked out the window and saw a dog walking over his freshly laid concrete. He went outside, the dog left, he smoothed it back out, and then he went back inside. When he went inside, he looked out in a little bit, and there was a dog lying in the concrete that he had just smoothed. He went back out, the dog left again, he smoothed it out again, and then he went back inside. When he looked out the window again, he saw the dog back walking in his fresh concrete. He grabbed his golf club and started after the dog. There was a man, a neighbor in the yard yelled at him and said, John, I thought you loved dogs. And he said, I do love them in the abstract, but I hate them in the concrete. That's sort of the way it is with forgiveness. We love the idea of forgiveness, but when it comes to me forgiving someone who has wronged me, I love it in the abstract, but I hate it in the concrete. Jesus dealt with the subject. Take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse number 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. 
Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. The slave, therefore, falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Now, I think that I'm going to stop there, and then we will refer to the rest of the parable as we go along. But it begins with the question of forgiveness there in verse number 21. Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Now, we don't know if that is a hypothetical question. We don't know if Simon Peter had something specific in mind. But we do know that there was an issue concerning forgiveness. You see, there are barriers to forgiveness. I mean, it isn't natural to forgive. Someone has wronged me and I am supposed to forgive that person who has wronged me. That is not natural. So we do not want to forgive someone who has wronged us because justice requires vindication. And so as a result, we become vengeful. We want not forgiveness, but revenge. And our motto then is don't get mad, get even. See, we become revengeful towards those people who have wronged us rather than forgiving them. We become resentful. We resent those, do we not, who wrong us? And we remember everything. Isn't it amazing that some of you probably were sinned against, were done wrong 20 years ago? But you remember in detail everything that happened. We remember it all. Little five-year-old boy was playing with his two-year-old brother. His mother was in the kitchen. She heard a scream coming from the room where they were. He, she went in to see what had happened. And when she went in, the five-year-old Mikey was crying. And she said, what happened? And he said, Johnny pulled my hair. And she says, well, honey, I'm so sorry. But Johnny doesn't know that it hurts. He's only two years old, and he doesn't know that it hurts when he pulls your hair. So she wiped his tears, went back into the kitchen. In a few minutes, she heard screaming again. She went back into the room where they were. This time, the two-year-old was crying. And she said, what happened? He said, Mikey, pull my hair. He said, Mikey, why did you pull his hair? And he said, well, you said he didn't know that it hurts when, when someone's hair is pulled. Well, he knows now. Well, that's sort of the way it is with us. When someone wrongs us, when someone hurts us, we want them to know that we have been hurt. And so there are the barriers to forgiveness. It is difficult to forgive. Someone hurts us and we are supposed to forgive them. No, we want justice. We don't want to forgive them. So there's a question in verse 21. Peter said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? 
Now, where did that come from? Peter says, Lord, if someone sins against me, how, how many times am I to forgive this person? Seven times? You see, the Jews believed that you were to forgive three times. Barclay said it was rabbinic teaching that a man must forgive his brother three times. Rabbi Hananah said he who begs forgiveness from his neighbor must not do so more than three times. Rabbi Yehuda wrote if a man commits an offense once, they forgive him. If he commits an offense a second time, they forgive him. If he commits an offense a third time, they forgive him. The fourth time, they do not forgive. So it was Jewish understanding that you were to forgive three times. Now, where does that come from? Is there a scriptural basis for that idea of being forgiving three times? Yes, it comes from Amos. In Amos chapter 1, verse number 3, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke its punishment. Forgive three times, but for four, I will not revoke its punishment. Amos chapter 1, verse number 6, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke its punishment. So Amos had said, the Lord said that he would forgive three times, but not the fourth time. The Jews thus felt that it was not right for them to be more forgiving than God. And so one was only to forgive three times. Well, Simon Peter was bigger than that, and so he said seven times. Lord, should I forgive my brother or someone who has sinned against me seven times? Barclay wrote, Peter thought that he was going very far. For he took the rabbinic three times, multiplied it by two for good measure, adds one, and suggests with eager self-satisfaction that it will be enough if he forgives seven times. Peter expected to be warmly commended. So the Jews thought that you were to forgive someone three times. If they sin against you, if they hurt you three times, then you forgave them three times but not four. Simon Peter posed the question, Lord, should I forgive my brother seven times? And so in verse number 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. So Jesus sets a different standard there. Now, he is not substituting three or seven for 490. He is saying that your standard of forgiveness as a follower of me is unlimited forgiveness, that you are to forgive as God has forgiven you. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians 4.32, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So what is Jesus saying here? He is saying that forgiveness is to be unlimited because our forgiveness is to be like God's forgiveness. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the law counts. The law counts to three. The law counts to seven. But grace does not. So our forgiveness is to be unlimited. Then Jesus tells a parable to illustrate what he meant. Verse number 23. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. 
when he had begun to settle them, there was one brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, we probably focus too much on the 10,000 talents on the amount. The truth is, in Greek understanding or in the Greek language, 10,000 was the highest numerical number. It was uncountable. It would be like infinity to us, and that was their understanding. But you might say, okay, how much was that, though? Well, in today's terms, it would be about $12 million. So here's a slave who owed $12 million. Well, in verse number 25, it says, But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So here's a man who didn't have the ability to pay the debt that he owed. And so he and his family were going to be sold uh, to, to pay the debt. Now, here's my question, though. Where did a a slave get a $12 million loan? Now, most of you couldn't do that. So where would he get a $12 million loan? The only thing I can figure, it must have been a government loan. Other than that, it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) But, But what is Jesus teaching here? Here is a man who owes $12 million. He is a slave. He owes $12 million. So what is the message that Jesus is conveying? He is teaching us to recognize our inability to pay our spiritual debt. See, the Bible says all have sinned and what? All have sinned and come short. We, we, we come short. I mean, I, I, I can do everything that I can and I still come short. I can't pay the debt, the spiritual debt that I owe. No matter how hard I try, no matter what I do... No, how many, no, no matter how many events that I, and I know that, that Steve tells you in the choir that if you have perfect attendance that your debt is paid, but it isn't. That's just Steve telling you those things. We all have sinned and we come short. We don't measure up. Therefore, we need grace because we can't pay our debt. And so the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what is Jesus teaching with this parable? He is teaching us that we do not have the ability to pay our spiritual debt. You do not. No matter how good you are, no matter how moral you are, no matter how religious you are, you do not have the ability to pay your spiritual debt. That's the point of the, of the parable. And also he is teaching us to acknowledge God's good goodness to us. And isn't the Lord good? I mean, we're saved by his grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I have been saved not because I deserve it. I have been saved not because I've earned it. I have been saved because he gives it as a free gift. So I've been blessed. He has saved. And then not only does he save us and bless us in salvation, but he also has blessed us with an abundant life. John chapter 10, verse 10, I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. Folks, let me ask you a question. Do you ever sometimes just rehearse the blessings God has given to you? My goodness, he's been so good. Linda and I were talking about it yesterday. This morning when I was driving in, I was thinking about how good the Lord has been, how he's blessed us. With our children, our grandchildren. I received a a text message from Janie, my granddaughter, the other day. And it said, hi, Daddy E, this is Janie. And I wrote back and said, Janie who? (laughs) And she texted me back and said, 
Jane Linda Estep, also known as Little Linda. I said, isn't that, isn't that the best thing that could possibly be said to a grandmother? Also known as Little Linda. I mean, the Lord has blessed us. He has, he has blessed. I am overwhelmed with the blessings of God. I can't get over the blessings of God. And then I get to pastor this church. There is not a better church anywhere than the First Baptist Church of Columbia. I mean, I thank God for you. I'm so blessed to be able to stand here Sunday after Sunday. Because God is good to us. So, Jesus tells this parable. The reason that he told the parable was to teach us that we do not have the ability to pay. It comes by grace. And to remind us as to how blessed we are. That he blesses us with his grace. Then he says that those who have been forgiven are to be forgiving. Now, truth is, forgiveness is not a natural response. Unforgiveness is a natural response. And we see that with a slave in verse number 28. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. He was unwilling, however, but went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So here is this slave who has been forgiven $12 million, who finds someone who owes him a little bit of money, and the disparity between the two debts was enormous. A.R.S. Kennedy said, suppose they were paid in sixpences. The 100 denarii debt could be carried in one pocket. The 10,000 talent debt would take to carry it an army of about 8,600 carriers, each carrying a sack of sixpences, 60 pounds in weight. So here is a man who owed this enormous debt, and he goes to a man who owes him some pocket change. And he says, throw him in prison until he... Now, aren't we more like that unforgiving slave oftentimes? Aren't we? I mean, some of you have been wronged. I mean, you really have. Maybe it was a family member who wronged you, who took advantage of you, who abused you, but someone in the family wronged you. Or perhaps it was a friend. Someone that you trusted, someone you believed to be a friend of yours, and they wronged you. Or maybe it was another church member, someone within the church where you go to worship the Lord, and they wronged you. Well, the point is that we who have received the grace of God oftentimes demand revenge on those who have wronged us. Unforgiveness is natural, and forgiveness is supernatural. Jim Butcher outlines the quality of forgiveness. He says, first of all, that you acknowledge that you have been wronged. He said, forgiveness requires admitting that a serious wrong was done against you. Now, folks, see, here's the thing in forgiveness. It does not mean that we pretend that something did not happen. It does not mean that we go into denial, denying that something happened. But instead, we acknowledge that we have been wrong, that this actually did happen. Now, whenever I acknowledge that I have been wronged, someone wronged me, and then I deal with it scripturally, it changes my status. There is a sense in which forgiveness is self-serving. 
because of the benefits to the one who forgives. For instance, if I am wronged, then I am the victim. But when I forgive the one who wronged me, now I am the victor. And when I forgive, it provides freedom for me, freedom from hatred. Because the fact is, and I hope that you will understand this, the fact is, when we do not forgive, when we harbor unforgiveness in our lives, that will grow into hatred. When we harbor unforgiveness, it will grow into hatred in our lives. Edwin Markham was a poet. His money was embezzled, and he became very bitter as a result of it. After a while, he could no longer write poetry. And he concluded the reason that he could no longer write poetry was because of the bitterness in his spirit. And as a result, he was just no longer able to write. So he decided to forgive the one who had embezzled the money from him. And then he wrote these lines with which you're familiar He drew a circle to shut me out. Rebel, heretic, a thing to flout. But love and I had the wit to win. We drew a circle that took him in. And from that time, he wrote his greatest poetry. Because he forgave the one who had wronged him. It gives us freedom when we forgive. From hatred, from worry, from guilt. From all those things. Folks, one of the reasons it's so important that you forgive those who have wronged you is because of what it means to you. It sets you free. It sets you free from hatred, sets you free from worry, sets you free from give, uh, from, from grief. So those who have been forgiven are to be forgiving. And then he talks about the torturers of unforgiveness in verse 34. And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. There are consequences for unforgiveness. And one of the consequences is that it destroys relationships. When we don't forgive, it destroys relationships that should be valued by us. Robert Louis Stevenson wrote of two sisters who never married. They lived together, but there came a time in their lives when they had a falling out. And uh, they decided that they were not going to talk to each other again. So they took a piece of chalk and drew a line through the house where they lived, and one of them lived on this side and one of them lived on that side. And for the rest of their lives, they never acknowledged each other again. Unforgiveness separates us from others. So we give them the silent treatment. Not going to talk to that person. They've done me wrong. I'm, I'm not going to talk to them. Now, if you make any move, I'll know that's you. We give them the silent treatment. We avoid them. When we see them coming, we go in the opposite direction. Why? Because we've not forgiven them. So unforgiveness then invites the torturers. In other words, we invite company into our lives that we are not going to enjoy. When we do not forgive, we are handed over to the torturers and we go forward with company that we won't enjoy. R.T. Kendall wrote the book Total Forgiveness and he wrote, We only hurt ourselves when we dwell on what has happened to us and fantasize about what it will be like when they get punished. Most of all, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God 
And this is why we lose our sense of peace. When we do not forgive, we grieve the Spirit of God. And then our life is void of peace. Anger comes into our life. Have you ever been around an angry person? The Bible says have nothing to do with an angry person. But that's what happens when we don't forgive. We become an angry person. Bitterness. Are you ever around someone who is bitter? Kendall wrote, the quickest way I seem to lose inner peace is when I allow bitterness to reenter my heart. Folks, when we don't forgive, we become angry, bitter people. The truth is that no one wants to be around. Let me conclude. We can't forget. When someone has hurt us, when someone has done us wrong, we don't forget. But we can forgive. Because God enables us to forgive. It's supernatural. But God enables us to forgive. April 25th, 1958. There was a young Korean exchange student who was going to the post office to mail a letter back to his family in Korea. On the way back home, there were 11 young people who attacked him, beat him, and left him. He died. They were apprehended, and the death penalty was going to be sought. His parents back in Korea were Christians. They wrote a letter to the court. Our family has met together and we have decided to petition that the most generous treatment possible within the laws of your government be given to those who have committed this criminal action. We have dared to express our hope with a spirit received from the gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. And they established a fund to be used for the education, the social well-being, of those teenagers who killed their son when they were released from prison. God enables us to forgive those who have done us wrong, but it's supernatural. Now, let me ask you, is there someone you need to forgive? Is there someone who's wronged you? No question about that. They have wronged you, but you need to forgive them. Because, my friend, if you do not, then you are imprisoned by the torturers. You're going to have company that you don't want. Anger, bitterness, grief, all those things. Jesus can set you free from that if you will allow him to. If there is someone you need to forgive, ask God. Maybe you can't today, but ask God. Lord, help me forgive that person who wronged me. Our Father in God, the subject's a tough subject for us. It's hard for us to forgive. And yet you have said to us that we are to forgive as we've been forgiven. So I pray for those who are struggling with this today. And Lord, that you will give them the ability to forgive, that you might set them free. That they might have the peace that they desperately want. Pray that you'll strengthen them and bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in just a moment, we're going to stand, sing a hymn of invitation, an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord. 
If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, I encourage you today that you put your faith in Him. There'll be staff members to receive you. If you're looking for a church home, our doors open to you. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please, as we stand. The choir sings. As they sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do.